Okay. We'll Go ahead and pray. And we'll, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wondrous plan that you are working out here on this earth. We stand in awe of your plan. We thank you for revealing it to us. We ask that you would today help us to understand it even better. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our soon coming king. Amen. Amen. Up to this point in our discussion of the millennial kingdom, I've been addressing the question, when will the millennium, millennial kingdom come? And I've demonstrated that from a scriptural standpoint, you have to conclude that it comes after the return of Christ, after the return of Jesus Christ. Now today I'm going to start addressing the question, what will the millennial kingdom be like? In order to do that, we will look at some of the many, many passages, Old Testament passages from the prophets about this millennial kingdom. And I want to impress upon you that we're not just talking about a few scriptures here and there, a few isolated scriptures. Every single one of the, of the Old Testament prophets, with the exception of Jonah, talked about the restoration, the future restoration of Israel in a kingdom that was yet to come. And furthermore, it becomes apparent that they are not talking about the eternal state because they're talking about a world that is populated with physical, mortal, flesh and blood people. And it becomes apparent that they are not talking about a kingdom that can be achieved through human effort. They are talking about a kingdom that can only be established through divine intervention. So what we're going to do is first we're going to get a general overview of what the millennial kingdom will be like. And I'll ask some readers to help me here. And then after we do that, we'll look at some of the specific conditions that will be prevalent in the millennial kingdom. So Brian Beers will start us off. Brian. Brian. <laughs> He'll read the first passage, Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. It talks about uh, Jerusalem being established as the highest of the mountains above the hills. I think this is both literal and figurative. I think there will actually be some topographical changes that will take place at this time. And I also think that, of course, that it will, Jerusalem will be the highest in the sense that it's, it's uh, the place that, that governs the world. It says... Uh, all of these nations are, are saying, come, let's go up to the house of, of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways. Well, that's certainly not happening now, and it's, it hasn't happened at any time in the, in the historical past when the nations are eager to learn of God's ways. And it also talks about beating their swords into plowshares. It's been said that those who try to beat their swords into plowshares now will end up plowing for those who don't. So... God has not called us to be pacifists now. There will be a time coming when the world will be at peace, but that time certainly isn't now. Um, Dan, could you read the, read the next passage? We had, a question. we had a question over here. Yes, sir. Well, I think it's kind of funny. I've heard uh, sometimes leaders of our country sometimes quote part of this verse, but they don't quote the whole thing. No. Um. <laughs> okay, that's all. <laughs> 
Who am I next? Are you the next one? I know I'm not. Did you have another person to read yes. now, Dana? Who was that? Well, can you read huh? the second passage there? Which one? Isaiah 11, okay. verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Uh, go on to the next page. It continues on the next page. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So we read about a, an idyllic world that's very different from the world that we're experiencing today. And it's certainly very different from the world that has been experienced all throughout history. One, one of the things that sometimes makes it difficult to read and understand the prophets is that they can jump over centuries in, in just a few verses. The prophet might start out talking about conditions in his own day, and then the next verse he's talking about the first coming of Christ, and then just a few verses later he's talking about the end times and the, the tribulation and the second coming of Christ and the, and the millennial kingdom. So you have to pay close attention to, uh, to see what period of time they're talking about. Um, Richard, would you like to read the next... Uh, Isaiah 32. Behold, the king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruit, fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. One thing you notice in these passages is that it isn't just talking about the present restoration of Israel that we've seen since 1948. We're talking about something much bigger here, something much much farther beyond that, because we're talking about the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit being poured out upon Israel. We're talking about redeemed Israel. So, Norm, could you read the next? We'll, we'll try to just go right on down the line here. Isaiah 35, 1 through 8, 9 and 10. <clears throat> the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with 
with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given it to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He shall come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the desert, and streams, and streams in the desert. And burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lay down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. So the, the healings that Christ did when he was here on the earth are just a foretaste of what is going to happen in the millennium. We're going to see people everywhere being healed, and the blind seeing, and the deaf hearing, and the lame man leaping with joy. Uh, Norm, could you read the next? Oh, uh, you read the 35. Uh, so Isaiah 60. Who would like to read Isaiah 60? Would you, one of these two? Isaiah 60, 4 to 15, and then 18 and 21. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebi, I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay, shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God. And for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, With no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. So we see a very different attitude 
among the nations of the world towards Israel than we see today. Can I ask a question? Before all the others are read, because I want to ask this. How is it possible to say none of this will ever happen with a straight face? And I know they say, well, 70 AD and 135 AD proved that God rejected Israel permanently forever and the church is the new Israel. But it's not like God to give such details for something that will never happen because God knew Israel was going to reject her Messiah. So why is this in the Bible? Some of this has first advent material in it too. Could you speak to that? Speak to the first advent material? Well, how how could we assume none of this is valid anymore? Right. Well, I mentioned how how the prophets sometimes jump centuries ahead. I mean, they they might talk in one verse about the first coming of the Messiah, and then a few verses later they're talking about his second coming in the millennial kingdom. Well, you really have to do some gymnastics. You really have to do some allegorizing to get away from what this is. <laughs> well, here, the other question I've always asked is if God decided Israel wasn't adequate, so therefore he's not going to keep any of these promises anywhere close to literal, mm-hmm. well, then how can we ask Christians to believe the promises yeah. of God? Yeah. Because if we goof up, I I say it too lightly, if we Mm -hmm. become rebellious, well, God cancel all of his promises to the church, too. Yeah, that's why I talked last time about how ridiculous it is to deny these prophecies and say that they're never going to be fulfilled because of what it says about the nature of God. In, the, in, the, in verse 6, where it talks about camels and gold and frankincense, this is where people have gotten the idea that the wise men came, were riding on camels. But Matthew doesn't necessarily say that. They weren't necessarily riding on camels. Just because it talks about gold and frankincense, two of the, of the three gifts. So what we're talking about here is, is really the, the millennial kingdom. Eric? I actually had a comment, too, about kind of Taking off on what Bob is saying and what you guys are talking about. I talked to a guy yesterday who, who used the term New Testament Christian, okay? In other words, yeah. we, we hit on this last week a little bit too. There's so many nominal Christians and even denominations that are ignorant, yeah. possibly willfully ignorant of the Old Testament. And I think one of the keys is just understanding the covenants. God made an everlasting covenant with Israel, everlasting, unconditional, you know. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the denominations and some of the modern Christian, uh, n- nominally Christian, I mean, and, and they might even be believers in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they just get this stuff wrong because they don't know or are willfully ignorant of the Old Testament. Have you, have you heard what Andy Stanley said recently? Andy Stanley is a, a prominent preacher, and he's basically said that we, we as Christians, we need to, dis- to distance ourselves from the Old Testament because that really turns people off. So we need to, we need to get away from that. Uh, who, who would like to be my next reader? Read. Uh, I'll read. Uh, uh, but Jeremiah then we, we need more volunteers, too. This is Jeremiah. Oh, just, incidentally, on this last one, notice that it talks about my altar and my sanctuary. So we'll, I'll, I'll get into that more later. So yeah. keep that sure. in mind, that there will be an altar and a sanctuary, a temple during the millennial kingdom. Go ahead. Okay, this is Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 13, and then verses 31 through 34. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel." Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. 
Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria, and plant, the planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor, together. A great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So once again, we see that this is not referring to the present regathering of Israel. This is talking about a redeemed Israel. That is yet to come. So would somebody like to read the next one? Jeremiah 33. Thank you. Jeremiah 33, 7 through 11 and then verses 14 through 16. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all of the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me, and the city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Then I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, in those days and at the, that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Amen. 
So once again, we see a, a saved, redeemed Israel dwelling securely. We certainly don't dwell securely at the present time. The next one is Ezekiel 37. We'd like to read that one. We got Scott. Ezekiel 37, 21 through 26. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around, and bring them to their land. And I will make them one nation in the land, one of on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over all of them. And they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all their backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in, the, in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and, the, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Hallelujah. So once again, we read about God making an everlasting covenant of peace with Israel. And we also read once again about the sanctuary. Did you have a comment, Bob? Uh, I got a question or something maybe we should clarify based on that passage you just read. I was on the radio one time talking about well, prophecy, and there was another guest who was on somebody else's show, and he was claiming Christ will not rule during the millennium, but David will, based on that passage there. Well, and, well, and, actually, actually, go ahead bo answer. both will be ruling Christ and David, but we'll, I'll talk about that some more later. Okay. Um, the next one is in Amos. Amos chapter 9. I'm sorry, I was talking. <laughs> Amos chapter 9. Next you know, there. I wanted to make a, just a brief comment, too. I talked about, I mentioned covenants. We've got the Abrahamic covenant, which is a eternal covenant with the descendants of Abraham. That would be with Israel. And then we have the Mosaic covenant, which is the one that that was a conditional covenant right. and and of course the uh, god knew god who is omniscient knew that that covenant would just be the precursor and, and that, that the jewish people wouldn't be able to keep that covenant so now we're talking about this everlasting covenant now there's an everlasting covenant in christ so that we got three covenants going around here it's important to to kind of differentiate okay here's amos 9 11 to 13 Oh, uh, yes, okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, this is Amos 9, 11 through 15. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its branches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall dip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. 
I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So once again, we see blessings to Israel and, and that they shall never again be removed. They will never again be uprooted. The last one is Zechariah 14. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepress, and it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. The, the statement in there about the, uh, those that, all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem, that's reverting back to what we read in, in Revelation 19, the, the battle of Armageddon and the, the armies uh, coming against, against the returning Christ and being quickly put down. And in the last part of the passage there, we see that even the most mundane objects, the pots, in Jerusalem will be holy. They'll be set apart for the worship of God. When I talk about the millennial kingdom, the future of millennial kingdom, this is the part that I really enjoy, reading the scriptures and believing what they say. And that's so much more enjoyable than telling you about how it doesn't work to try to force scripture into a humanly devised system. Now, now let's take a look at some of the individual conditions that will prevail upon the earth during the millennial kingdom. First of all, the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God, is an eternal kingdom. We read in Daniel, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And if you say, well, wait a minute now, the millennial kingdom is a thousand years long. That's not forever. Well, the kingdom of God doesn't end with the millennial kingdom. At the end of the thousand years, we go into the eternal state. And the eternal state is, wait for it, eternal. It goes on forever. So it is an eternal kingdom. The... Uh, the millennial kingdom has been described as the front porch of eternity. I like that expression, the front porch of eternity. 
is a thousand years long, but it's just a foretaste of what we're going to experience throughout eternity. When the angel Gabriel talked to Mary, he announced to Mary that she was going to have a son. He not only told her about the first coming of the Messiah, he also told her about the second coming. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So it is an eternal kingdom. But it will also be an earthly kingdom, this millennial kingdom. And the Lord will be king over all the earth that will be on the earth. And of course, we as Christians who will have, by this time have received our glorified bodies will reign with him. And he will made them, meaning us Christians, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's not only an earthly kingdom in the sense that it's over all the earth, but it's also an earthly kingdom in the, in the sense that it will be populated by physical, mortal, flesh and blood people. We read earlier about, from Zechariah 14, Brian did, about uh, everyone who survives of all the nations will be required to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not come, then, then God will punish them and God will require them to do this. Um, I believe, and Eric also believes, that the people, the, the, the physical, mortal, flesh and blood people who enter the Millennial Kingdom will include both believers and unbelievers. Now, we, we differ in this respect some from the, uh, the standard dispensational view because most dispensationalists seem to think that at the beginning of the millennium, only believers will go into the millennium. But we tend to think that, that both believers and unbelievers will go into the millennium because this is talking about all of those who, who are left or survived. So the nations will send their armies, their militaries to fight against Christ, but there will still be people back home will be in, in the Millennial Kingdom. It, it will also be a time of Christ's direct rule. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That expression, with the rod of iron, we, we see that in in Revelation 19, which uh, Eric just recently covered. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So initially, at least, there will be some resistance against God ruling over the earth, but that will be quickly put down. There, this is from Daniel, chapter 7. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So the whole earth will be under Christ's direct rule. In Zechariah 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west. And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. So in the, the prophetic descriptions of this millennial kingdom, we see the preeminence of Israel and Jerusalem being the capital of the earth, being the center of attention. Your people shall be all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. And we'll see that expression many times, the land or this land, referring to the land of Israel. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them 
and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So once again, God will be working through Israel, through Jerusalem, to educate and reform the entire earth. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. So we see a change in Israel. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary, notice that, my sanctuary, the temple, is in their midst forevermore. Thus says the Lord, I return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So it, Jerusalem will be transformed spiritually. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord that day, in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in their midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. So we see the nations having a very different attitude towards Israel and towards Jerusalem. It says the Lord will inherit Judah. And of course, Judah is the tribe from which Jesus in his incarnation came. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. So Jerusalem is going to be the headquarters of the earth. And all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly, stubbornly follow their own evil heart. So the nations are going to submit to God. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and who entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So a very different attitude towards Israel. Today, many of the nations of the world are, are urging a boycott against Israel. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And the prophet Ezekiel actually tells us what that new name will be. And the name of the city, he's talking about Jerusalem, from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people, Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be filled, be tilled and sown. And I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I, will, and I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. 
So we read here about David. And let's see some more prophecies about David. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Now, remember now, when Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah wrote this, David had been long dead, but David will be raised up. Afterward, this is the prophet Hosea, afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So the prophet Hosea is telling us that this isn't happening in his day, it's going to happen in the latter days. And I will set up over them one shepherd and my servant, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Now, Arnold Fruchtenbaum does a very good job of explaining the differences between those prophecies which refer to the Messiah, the, the son of David, and the actual David. He says this, Nothing in the text indicates that David is to be taken symbolically. If the prophets wanted to refer to the Messiah in connection with David, they used terms such as root of Jesse, branch of David, son of David, or seed of David. None of these expressions are used here. So when, when the prophets are talking about the Messiah, they, they use those expressions to refer to him, the son of David, the descendant of David. The text simply states David. In keeping with literal interpretation, it is best to take the text as it reads, meaning the literal David, who in his resurrected form will function as the king over Israel and as a prince in subjection to the king of the world. So David will be alive and reigning, but he will, of course, be under Christ, as we will also. I can't uh, talk about demonial David without talking about demonial apostles. Jesus made an important promise to his disciples who became apostles. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. So a resurrected David and a resurrected apostles will be ruling with Christ over Israel. Also, during the Millennial Kingdom, the land promises will be realized. On that day, this is, this is from Genesis now. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. I'll talk more about the, the bounds of the promised land in the future. But, but these land promises will be realized in the millennial kingdom. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. So we'll see that expression, the land, this land, many times. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I have given to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of that land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Thus says the Lord God, this is the boundary by which you shall divide the land for inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions, just as he did in the, when Israel first came into the promised land. The, the portion of Joseph had, had two divisions, as Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And you shall divide equally what I swore to give to your fathers, this land shall fall to you as your inheritance. 
this shall be the boundary of the land. And it goes on to describe the, the tribal allotments in the millennial kingdom. This is uh, from Ezekiel 47. So you shall divide this land among you. According to the tribes of Israel, you shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you and have had children among you. So that entire last portion of the book of Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 48, is all about the millennial kingdom, about the millennial temple and the division of the land. Another characteristic of the millennial kingdom is economic prosperity. In our modern urbanized world, we often forget that economic prosperity really depends on agricultural abundance. And so the, the prophets spend a great deal of time talking about this agricultural abundance that will be supernaturally produced and that will bring about economic prosperity. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of singing. I will open rivers on the bare heights and mountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water and I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, and the myrtle, and the olive, I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the, and the pine together, for that they may know, they may see and know, they consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. So God supernaturally brings about, about these ideal conditions. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Karma and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, and burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. Even though Israel has been tra transformed since... Uh, it's been inhabited by the Jews since the founding of the state of Israel. But there are still vast portions of the land of Israel, the Judean desert, the Negev, that are very dry, very barren. That will all change in the millennium. And I will make them in the places that are all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. It's a great blessing when you have the right amount of water in the right place at the right time. There will, there will not be any floods or any droughts in the millennium. And he will give rain for the seed with which you, shall, which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. And that day your livestock will graze in large pastures. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people, as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce. And the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of, the, of this people to possess all these things. On that day the Lord their, their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is beauty. Grain shall make the young man, men flourish and new wine the young women. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. I, I love that expression, the plowman will overtake the reaper. The, the, crop, the crops will produce so abundantly that they'll just be barely getting one, one crop harvested and the, and the plowman will say, come on, come on, hurry up, I'm trying to get in here. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the, all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall build, rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. 
They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Incidentally, you may remember from the Gospel of John about the, the first uh, miracle that Christ performed in his incarnation was turning water into wine. Once again, that was just a foretaste of what we're going to experience in the millennium when the hills shall flow with it. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. The thing I wanted to point out about this is that Marxists tell us that in order to achieve the ideal society, in order to create utopia, we have to redistribute wealth. And often that means taking resources from the producers and giving them to the non-producers. But that's not what the word of God says. It says they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. So people will enjoy the fruits of their labor. And another thing that the Marxists tell us is that in order to achieve the ideal society, uh, to build a utopia, we, we, we have to take away private property. We can't have individuals owning property. But once again, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. It's his vine and his fig tree. It's not the community's vine and the community's fig tree. It's his vine. <laughs> that's a very important component of economic prosperity. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give you your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. There's a reference to his sanctuary again. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and enjoy the fruit. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the crane, and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their, their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And we, we read several more passages from Joel, but I will restore to you the words the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter. And then we see from Isaiah, then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and exult, because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. So it's not only agricultural wealth, it's also the abundance of the sea. There's a great deal of, of mineral wealth that's, that's stored up in the sea, and that will also be turned to Zion, to Jerusalem, to the earth. And I'll conclude uh, with, with that now, with the economic prosperity, and then ne next time, I'll, whenever I speak, I'll continue with the other conditions. We'll, we'll read about the peace and the, the uh, transformed animals, the nature of the animals, and the, the topographical changes that will take place. And then I'll uh, point out some things to you about 
uh, Ezekiel, that, that long passage in Ezekiel, verse, uh, chapters 40 through 48, where he talks about the millennial temple and the, the apportioning of the land. So for now, we'll, we'll close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, so thankful to you for the wonderful world that is coming, a world in which we will experience the fruits, the result of the direct rule of Jesus Christ. And we will see what mankind has been missing all these centuries because they have rebelled against you, because they have refused to obey you. But you will change all that, and we thank you for it. We ask that you would help us to appreciate this, to look forward to this time, and to long for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.